0: Hey, this is Tyler Johnson, pastor of Mission Church, located in Walnut Creek, California. I want to say thank you for tuning in. I hope this podcast inspires you, encourages you, and helps you live the life God called you to live. Enjoy. Uh, Merry Christmas, Mission Church. So good to see you. Uh, I've been uh, uh, off the pulpit for the last few weeks. Uh, it was Thanksgiving, so Joe Little crushed it a few weeks ago. Come on now. Run your race. Let's go, Joe. Ian Longton in the house at all. Ian, shout out to Ian. But Ian also crushed it. Come on now. I thought it was Ian, but you're just so, here. So, you're so, uh, um, Ian, you look different to me. Um, uh, but here's the deal. When I have two weeks off, I studied. And I got a message for you today. Saturday night was powerful. Uh, the 845 was powerful. And here's what I know. God says his best for last. Amen? I got to let you know, though, God doesn't show up because we have our church schedule. He doesn't like on Saturday night go like, okay, what's the church's service times again? 8.45, I'll be there at 8.45. Oh, 10.30, okay, he doesn't search the earth and look at scheduled service times. He searches the earth for hungry people. So are you hungry for God's word? Do you, want, do you want to change today? Do you want to be transformed? Well, here we go. Turn your Bibles to Luke 19. Title of my message is Merry Christmas, Zacchaeus. We're going to be in Luke 19. We're going to look at a text that is so beautiful. The gospel is rich in this one. I can't wait to preach it. Here we go. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached that spot, he looked up at him and said, Zacchaeus, come down. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. Just don't read the text and think it's just uh, um, something to be read. You put yourself in the story real quick. Jesus is walking down a street. He sees a grown man in a tree. Yo, Z, I'm crashing at your pad. He's not asking for dinner. He's like, I want to crash at your pad. If you got a couch, I'm sleeping on it. If you got bunk beds, I'll call top bunk. Like Jesus is inviting himself over to Zacchaeus' house. Now, something you need to understand about Zacchaeus. He is despised. He is hated. I mean, on the highest level, I mean, I'll try to make it in like relative terms. If you are a Republican, it'd be like uh, Jesus walking through California and saying, yo, Newsom, I wanna hang at your pad. And all the Republicans would be like, what? It's new, why would you wanna do It's Newsom, you know? And if you're a Democrat, be like, he's just the best. Okay, so, so, <laughs> so that, okay. So, so if you're, um, but if you're a Democrat, It'd be like, Jesus coming to America and be like, yo, Trump, we got a party tonight. I call top Bonk, you know? And you'd be a Democrat like, he's the worst. Why would you have dinner with Trump? Haven't you seen what he does? And, and, you know, but the Republicans would be like, he's our hero. You know, so both sides would respond differently, yes? Zacchaeus was hated by the Democrats and the Republicans. The, the Romans hated him and the Jews hated him. He was like if Trump and Biden had a baby. The worst of the worst. Hated by everybody. And Jesus goes, Zacchaeus, I want a party. Because here's what it was. Catch this. The gospel is not for the morally good. Jesus is seeking the outsiders. Over and over again in this text, you got to see this. Why did Zacchaeus even climb the tree? Jesus has 10 days before he's about to die. Three years he's been on the earth. And Zacchaeus has heard stories about this Savior that embraces outsider after outsider, prostitutes. He embraces them. You know it says in Matthew 21 that the kingdom of God is for the pimps, the prostitutes, and the tax collectors. And if that offended you, you might be a Pharisee. <laughs> Come on now, I can't believe you just said that in church. Relax. This is a, you. Th- I said it. Jesus was hanging out with them, wow. and not was he hanging out with them. He was pursuing them. If there was a religious outsider, he was going for him. If there was a sexual outsider, he was going for him. If there was a tax collector, he was going for him. Zacchaeus had heard about this type of God. He had heard that not only did he go for tax collectors and that outsiders could become insiders again, that the outcasts could be redeemed, that actually one of his disciples was a tax collector. So he climbed a tree to see this God. Can I just encourage you real quick? If you came to church today, it's like you climbing the tree to see if this God is real. Can I tell you he's real? Mission Church, oh, I pray the Mission Church that we're a church that when outsiders hear about God, this is not for the morally good. This is for the bankrupt and the nasty. Come on now. You're like, and if you don't think you're nasty, you don't understand the gospel. <laughs> can, I, can, 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 I, can I read you just a, one little thing I wrote about uh, uh, um, what it says about the gospel? Um, You know, actually, I'm I'm skipping ahead. Pause. Let's keep going. Okay, here we go. I'll get there in just a second. The crowd mutters. I'll talk about it in a second. Okay. Um, I know you want to hear it. I know you're excited. You're loving the message already. Relax. Um, (laughs) uh, When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. It's interesting. The king of kings, the Lord of lords, says, I must. Not Maybe I should have dinner with this guy. Maybe I should hang out. Because he don't have dinner. He stays the night over there. He hangs out for a while. That's what the Greek shows and the history shows. He says, I must. Not I want to, not I should. I must stay at your house today. I don't know about you, but I had 10 days left to live. I would not want to go hang out with Newsom or Biden or anybody else like that. I would want to go hang out with my friends. I'd want to go see something beautiful. But the Savior of the world said, I must be with you today. Because, catch this, Jesus lived the best life on this earth because he knew who he was and what his purpose was. And if you want to live the best life on this earth for the Lord and actually have all fulfillment, you better know who you are and what your must are. Can I ask you a question? Do you know your must? I bet you have a big list of wants and shoulds. You're very busy with a lot of things. But I'm telling you, if you don't have, I must live for God. I must worship God. I must become like my God. Then you got the wrong must. I'll show you this real quick. Let's look at some data. Um, sociologist says, uh, say this. They say that we are... Uh, Um, about this generation, that we are the angriest, loneliest, the most oppressed, anxious, and distracted than any other generation that has ever existed. And can I submit this to you? The system is perfectly designed to get the results it's getting. Because when you have the wrong must, and the world tells you, I must get this job, and I must have this money, and I must have this person, and you get all these musts, and you still feel bankrupt inside because Zacchaeus was rich, but he was bankrupt inside, and so what happens? It might just produce a generation like the one we have right now that is the most depressed, angry, anxious, and distracted. Let me submit this to you real quick. The Surgeon General, I even showed it to you. I was gonna have grass, I was like, I'm not gonna go down this trail too far. Just Google yourself. But uh, data after data and study after study shows this. Um, we are the most distracted. Uh, goldfish have better uh, attention spans than us. The Surgeon General, uh, Liddy said, we're in a loneliness epidemic. The number one drug prescribed in our nation is an antidepressant. Uh, the Bible says in Leviticus, it's a it's uh, powerful scripture It says, those who worship the world will hear a leaf drop and feel like a thousand are chasing them. But those who worship God, a thousand will chase and it will feel like one. Because the ones who do not have a God who fights for them have no idea how to fight their battles. And it's saying, when you worship the wrong things, when you get on the conveyor belt of the world and just start going down the conveyor belt of the world over and over again, all it does is just suck your soul dry. I, um, I'll, 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 I'll communicate how the enemy does this. Like, how in the world did this happen to my life? How in the world do we allow this? I'll, I'll show how he does it um, through a quick little illustration. Matt Emmons, I'll show you a picture real quick. Um, Olympian. Uh, he was... Um, said to be the greatest shooter ever to live. Um, he was the best on the planet. The question when they went to the 2004 Olympics was not who's going to win gold. They already knew Matt was going to win gold because um, nobody was even close to how good he was. It was who's going to win silver. So throughout each round, Matt Emmons is destroying the field. So much so in the, la- in the last round, all he has to do is hit the target. Now, when you hit the target, um, you need to understand something about this, this um, sport. I've never watched it because uh, it sounds really boring. But anyways... Um, <laughs> Oh, he hit the target! Oh, this is exciting! Pink. Okay, anyways, so, um, but uh, you need to know something about this field. When when they're shooting, they don't miss by inches; it's millimeters. Nobody misses the target. So it comes to the last target. Aims his gun, pulls the trigger, bullseye. He gets done. He thinks he won the gold. Realizes at the end when he gets told, "You do not win the gold. You do not win the silver. You do not win the bronze. You hit the wrong bullseye." And he, somebody thought it was funny. Matt didn't think it was funny. He's like, ah! <laughs> I, like it, I like that. Um, um, here's, here, here's, here's what happens. Uh, and, and I catch this real quick. Um, I'm going to go a little, I'm going to step into Revelation for just a second. It says in Revelation that the Jezebel spirit would, would flood the church uh, with idols, um, with sexual uh, the church and the world. And you're like, well, what does it always mean? Like flood with idols? What does an idol look like? How can I describe an idol to you today? Here's what an idol is. Jezebel would come to the church and create new bullseyes for the church to hit. New bullseyes for Christians to live for. And what an idol is, it's having the wrong bullseye of your life. How sad would it be if you hit a bullseye in your career, but you missed a great marriage. How sad would it be if you had a bullseye in finances, but you lost the intimacy of God. How sad would it be if you hit a bullseye in pleasure, but you forfeited your intimacy and purity uh, because of those things. There is a bullseye to hit and his name is Jesus. And so if I could just encourage you real quick. The reality is, is that the one reason why the world is so angry and so anxious and so depressed is because they were given the wrong bullseyes. I'm here to give you the right must again. And your must is simply this. I must live for my God. I must worship my God. And I must become like my God. Amen? Yes. Thanks, Rach. Um, <laughs> yes. Yes. If my, if my sweetie likes it, then it's all good. <laughs> We were in a staff meeting this week and Rachel goes, sweetums. I was like, babe, we at work right now, okay? You call me sweetums. You call me boo bear in front of me. Boo bear! I'm like, no! Anyways. I, uh, I want you to catch this real quick. Um, so, uh, you know, being off a few weeks, you start reading different articles. I like, I just like, I'm all about the church. I love God so much and I love his bride. So, I'll like just read things about how the church is doing as a whole. And so, I was just reading things about the church in America today. Came across an article that said that the church is in irreversible decline. I hate those articles. I'm like, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know. Um, and, you know, they'll share, like, all these stats, why it's an irreversible decline. They're sharing stats. You know, Barno was showing that 7 out of 10 young people, when they go to college, they'll just walk away from their faith. They'll walk away from church. A million people will walk away this year from church. All these kind of things that just irreversible decline. And so then I, I stumbled upon this book called The Great de and I think I have a, um, a copy. If you, you just want a nice little light read and be depressed, read that book. Um, uh, I started reading it, and it was kind of interesting uh, what it said, why the church is declining and why there's a great de-churching. Here's what it said. I'll just give you a little excerpt. According to the book, the exodus of people leaving church is far less about different beliefs and far more about changing priorities, far more about new bullseyes. The vast majority of people de-churching still believe in God and have some level of orthodox Christian beliefs uh, with some exceptions. Most of them either want to or are open to going back to church someday. They're just simply too busy. As authors cheekily put it, most e-church people talk about going to church the way they talk about going to the gym. They know they should, but it's hard to find the energy or time. As your pastor, I'm here to tell you, you have too many musts on your plate and they're the wrong ones. Who gave you your list? I pastored kids for nine years and they had all these musts that God never gave them. I must get this grade. I must have my peers like me. I must go to this school. And as they're living all these musts out, all I'm watching is their season or their high school career being stolen from them from the enemy because when you have the wrong must, it steals from your journey. And then when you don't get the must you think you're supposed to, you think life is over as you know it. What I found out pastoring adults is y'all a bunch of big kids and you just change your must for something else. Instead of a school, I must have this job. I must have this prestige. I must have this house. And when you change the wrong must, it destroys your life. Who's giving you this list? It's not from God. And I'm here to tell you today, stop being so busy. Stop forfeiting the things of God and start chasing after God. Yeah. I, I got busy one season of my life. And I had a friend who loved me. I had been a believer for three years. Uh, just graduated high school. It was our uh, summer. We going to our freshman year of college, and I met a girl. And I had bounced and not been in church for three months. And we're in his backyard, And he asked me a question. And he goes, hey, are you a Christian still? And I was like, what? I was like, bro, you're my best friend. You know I'm a Christian. He's like, I I thought Christians went to church. And you don't go to church. And I was like, I I have my relationship with God, okay? You know? And he's like, man, like, I just feel like you met this girl. And, like, you just, like, literally went, Are you like, like, you know, bounce on everything. Like, I just haven't seen you. You're not, you know, you used to serve at church and like, it was your favorite thing. And then, you, and, you know, and so he keeps on going. He doubles down on a couple of things. And I remember I was so upset at him. I was so frustrated at first. But then I got in my car and I remember being like, God, I, I forfeited a season with you. I, I got lost. And I didn't feel like he was trying to hurt me. He was trying to pull me back to something that I, he knew that was the best for me. I'm trying to tell you real quick, we need people in the church today to pull people back a little bit. I'm telling you, the, the, the bullseye of compassion, the bullseye of not trying to hurt somebody's feelings, although oh, I don't want, I don't make them feel funny. I don't care if you feel funny. I want your soul to be saved. I don't want you to forfeit an abundant life. And the reality is, is that when you get too busy for Jesus, you are losing Jesus. You are, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not here to talk about salvation. I'm just talking about losing your birthright and fulfillment. Oh, please, please start living for your God. So this is just my intro, by the way. Okay. Um, you're laughing, but its I'm honestly serious. <laughs> I was telling one of my buddies, Tom, I was like, hey, this could be a four-week series, and I'm going to do it in one. <laughs> uh, um, all the people saw this and began to mutter. All, this, all the people began to saw, uh, see this, and they began to mutter. He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. I love how Tim Keller said it. People who most like religion, most hate the gospel. The people who love the gospel, most hate religion. It's fascinating to me that the Nice people are muttering about what's happening with Zacchaeus right now. And the nasty people are attracted to Jesus. Now, now, I'll catch this real quick. Unless you know you're a moral failure, you'll want religion, not the gospel. What's the difference between religion and the gospel? All the difference in the world. In religion, I'm searching for God. But the gospel is God has come to seek and save the nasty like you and me. You're nasty, you're broken. When I said he came to say the prostitutes, you're like, that doesn't make sense to me. Trust me, you have been a prostitute. It says in Hosea that those who worshiped idols were like prostitutes that slept with the world. And that Jesus kept knocking on your door saying, I am your bridegroom. I am the one that you're supposed to love. He did not leave you. He kept knocking on the door of every mistress door that you're at and saying, come back home to me. You were not a moral person that was good, and you're like, oh, I gotta get on this bus too. No, you were broken and nasty, and he saved you. I'm gonna show you this real quick. Jesus was the ultimate insider, and he went for outsiders. In Joshua 2, Rahab was called a prostitute. In Matthew 1, she's called the grandmother of Jesus. Jesus, when he gets in your life, he changes your title. He changes your life in a dramatic way. I love what it says, um, uh, in the word it says, woe to you, Chorazin and Bethsaida. It'll be better on judgment day for Sodom and Gomorrah than you. What he's saying is, woe to you, fake church. Woe to you, moral church. These two towns were, if you knew the context, they were the towns that had the white picket fences. If you were on the earth today, I feel like you'd say, woe to you, Texas and Tennessee. You think you're good because you're still Christendom area, morally good. No, no, no. San Francisco and California is going to be better off than you. I love scriptures that make us look good. Because there's very few in the Bible that I can find right now. We is Sodom and Gomorrah up here in California. Okay, we is Sodom and Gomorrah. But here's the deal. When you are a morally outraged person, here's what happens when you become a moral person. You mutter about San Francisco instead of praying that God would save your soul. You start to get on this moral hierarchy and you th- start looking down on people and all you do is mutter. Here's a note. Haters are going to hate, mutters are going to mutt, but Christians are going to pray and worship, okay? And so I want to encourage you today. I want to encourage you today. Watch out for the mutterers. I, I heard a pastor say this one, uh, uh, Leonard Ravenhill, he said, you can either have a superficial church or you can have a supernatural church. A superficial church is like, oh, I'm just kind of bad I need to have a little bit of things. A supernatural church is, I'm nasty. I got sins I don't even want you to know. But I want the supernatural power of God to cleanse me and free me of those sins. If you knew what I walked out of, if you knew what I thought, and you know what the trees, I the, the, the lanes I went down, oh, I don't know if you'd want me in this church. Trust me, we want you in this church. I want the world to know, I want the Bay Area to know, that if you're nasty, we got a seat for you. If you are morally good, I got some churches for you. But this church, we want it to be supernatural. We want God to move through our life. We want God to redeem our life. I'm not trying to create a moral committee here that's going to mutter about, can you believe they did this? No, I want to say, can you believe he did this? Okay? But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Psychologists call this moment the crystallization of discontent. The definition is simply just saying that you finally see clearly about uh, the things that are actually making your soul discontent. You finally see clearly the rhythm of your life and the priorities and rhythms that are stealing from you instead of blessing your life. Uh, These are moments like when a woman is married to a physical abuser and she's been okay with it for years. And one day her eyes open and she goes, what am I doing? This is not my life. This is not my birthright. And so she leaves that home and builds the right type of life because her eyes had seen clearly for the first time. It's like a Christian who has been living with the world, being abused by the world, and says, what am I doing? So he goes, what was I doing? I thought possessions and money would fulfill me. I see clearly for the first time. It was my master, but now I will be its master. I'm gonna give half to the poor. I'm gonna repay all of my debts. I'm gonna be generous like my God. Let me tell you something real quick. Some of you, have not had a crystallization of discontent moment yet. You still see things that you think are blessing you, but they are abusing you. You think they're blessing you, and they are stealing from you. You think they're building you, but they are tearing you down. You think the things that you're chasing after are good. No, they are the pit of hell. When you make a good thing an ultimate thing, it becomes a hellish thing. Can I encourage you today? God's gonna open your eyes to see the beauty of him and the freedom in him. Now, I love this last part, and then we'll get into the message and get out of my intro. Okay. It's so funny you're laughing, but I'm just being serious, okay? Um, Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house, because this man, too, is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save the lost. I'm so thankful. The scriptures don't say he came to seek and save the impressive. Came to seek and save the morally good. Came to seek and save the conservatives. Came to seek and save the liberals. No, he came to seek and save the nasty, and I'm so thankful he did it. I don't want to encourage you today. He came to seek and save you. Religion is about climbing. The gospel is about God coming down into your life. No climbing today in the sense of religious ways. There is going to be a spiritual responsive climbing. We're going to talk about it, but there is not a religious climbing of lists to do. It's about seeing God. Yes. I'm going to pray, and we're going to look at three things. Um. We're going to look at the climb, we're going to look at the crowd, and we're going to look at the change. A lot of you need to get your must back. A lot of you need to have an epiphany, a revelation, an encounter with God. Revelation is all it is is the curtains pulled back and you see it for the first time. Uh, But you're going to get your must back. And the way you get your must back is you must understand the climb, you must understand the change, and then you must understand the crowd. Will you bow your heads and pray. God, I thank you for what you're doing at Mission Church. I thank you that you're the one that opens eyes, open ears, you raise the dead. You're the one that heals. So God, right now, we simply say we're hungry for you. We're hungry to hear from your word. God, we know what your word says, that it does not return void. God, you return, you're producing things in our soul already in this service. You're already setting people free. You're already redeeming. You're already saving. So God, we say thank you. God, I pray right now my words is fall to the floor and your words are sore. God, we give you everything. We give you all the glory. And everybody said? Amen. Let's look at the climb. Let's look at the climb. Luke 19, he wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed the sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. Stop. Again, when you read a text, just put yourself in this thing. He went and climbed a tree. When's the last time you climbed a tree? Like, I don't see people in Walnut Creek, like trees like, you know what, let's climb the tree today. I don't see people like adults in Korea, let's climb it. If I was walking in Walnut Creek and I saw you climbing a tree, would you be embarrassed? Yeah. Yes, because who climbs trees? Kids climb trees. It makes Zacchaeus look silly. It makes Zacchaeus look vulnerable. It exposes Zacchaeus' greatest weakness. It says he was a short man. So it exposes his deficiency even. And so he gets in the tree. Why? Because it's that important to him that he wants to see Jesus. Now, there's this book. Um, you probably know it, Chronicles and Arnia. There's seven of them. And then the last one, Out of the four kids, Peter, Edmund, Lucy, and Susan, Susan does not get saved. She's the only one that does not experience salvation. And the book says the reason why uh, Susan does not get saved is she became too adult. The things of kids were too childish for her. She became the things of parties. She thought Narnia was childish. Narnia was the presence of God. And she thought it was kiddish. So she lost her salvation over it. She never got saved. Let me me, me read you a verse real quick. Because we need to climb again and we must become kids again. Matthew 18 says this. He called the little child to him and placed the child among them. He said, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Climbing was him literally getting vulnerable and becoming like a kid again. I, it's a quote I think you've heard. We don't, you don't stop laughing because you grow old. You grow old because you stop laughing. Uh, I... Uh, I lose a lot just because I pastor church. I'm not always like, what would Jesus do if he walked through the building like right now? Or like if he just came to our church one day? What, if, like, what would he do when he walked into churches? And sometimes I feel like when Jesus was walking into churches, I think one of the first things he would do be like, everybody lighten up. <laughs> like it's not a funeral. Like I literally say my word that I'm gonna fill your mouth with laughter and your, your tongue with shouts of praise. Did you know that adults laugh 17 times a day, but kids laugh 300 times a day? Did you know that um, adults ask 25 questions a day, and young kids ask hundreds and hundreds of questions a day? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. (laughs) No, no, I'm wrong. You know, kids like, "What's that? Why does it do that?" You know. Um, If you, if you're, you know, married to somebody who's very curious, they'll ask you the same stuff. Um, Rachel's not here. Um, Anyways, um, so. Some of us, I've gotten emails, DMs. Your church laughs too much. You're too funny. Stop the jokes. And I'm like, what Bible are you reading? Go home and just Google laughter in the Bible. Laughter is not an age thing, it's a spirit thing. Joy is not an age thing, it's a spirit thing. Some of you, if Joe will let you, you should come to stand in the back and watch a youth service. Watch how they worship. Because a lot of you say, I would climb a tree for Jesus. Oh, you would because you won't raise your hands for Jesus. Because you think if you raise your hands, you'll look silly. you look like a child again. I hope you will look like a child again. I hope you're willing to look silly again. Because I raise my hands because I want to see my God. I raise my hands because I want to climb the tree of spirituality and say, I see you, Jesus. I want to engage with you. Um, Chesterton said it this way. He titled The Sin of Growing Old. The Sin of Growing Old. Because children have abounding vitality. Because they're in the spirit of fierce and free. Therefore, they want things repeated and unchanged. They always say, do it again. And the grown-up person does it again until he is nearly dead. <laughs> For our grown-up people are not strong enough to exalt in monotony. But perhaps God is. Perhaps God is strong enough to exalt in monotony. It is possible that God can say every morning, do it again. To the sun and every evening uh, to the moon. Do it again. He may not be automatic. It may not be an automatic necessity that makes all daisies alike. It may be the God who makes every daisy separately. But has never got tired of making them. It may be that he has an eternal appetite of infancy. For we have sinned and grown old. And our father is younger than we are. I'm here to encourage you. It's time to climb trees like a child again. It's time to believe like a child again. It's time to worship like a child again. It's time to raise your hands and not worry about what an adult thinks because here's what happens. When you become an adult, you feel like, oh, adults don't do that. Who told you adults don't do that? Right. C.S. Lewis said before he was uh, saved, he would not be caught dead reading a fairy tale in public. But when he got saved, ooh, he, had, he didn't care anymore. Grab his favorite, favorite fairy tale book, go to the coffee shop and read it. He said when he got saved, he got set free to be a child again, to climb trees again. Some of you, I just want to set you free today. Start worshiping again. You say you would climb a tree for Jesus, just get in a small group again. You you say you, you would climb a tree for Jesus, just get baptized for Jesus. You say you'd get saved for Jesus, start attending church for Jesus. You say you'd climb a tree for Jesus, start serving for Jesus. I'm telling you, when you lean into those things, you start to see Jesus again. Don't discount the climb. Don't discount the climb. I, uh, I want to give you some handles, because I do. I believe we got stern hearts uh, this morning. I, know I, saw, I mean, last night was powerful. you he stern hearts. I believe people in the room are like, man, I, I want this. I, I don't want to sit on the sidelines. I don't want to be apathetic. I, I, want to, I want to see Jesus again. What does it look like to seek Jesus? What does it look like to climb the tree spiritually? I want to show you uh, in the book of Hosea, it literally gives us spiritual disciplines on how to seek our God, on how to spiritually encounter our God. Now, catch this real quick. The the context of Hosea, it's a people of God who are in spiritual decline. They are apathetic. They have lost their way. And so he says this to them in, in Hosea 10. Sow for yourselves righteousness. Reap in mercy. Break up your fallowed ground. For it is time to seek the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord, Mission Church. For it is time to seek the Lord. Turn to your neighbor and say, it is time. I'm trying to wake you up. It is time to seek the Lord till he comes and rains righteousness on you. First thing we see, what it looks like to climb a tree today is climbing is breaking up fallowed ground. Now, you drove here. You didn't see a lot of fallowed ground on the way here. Like, and you maybe not even know what does fallow ground mean, okay? Um, it's a farming term. It just means hard soil, neglected soil. It'd be like driving down, like, that's a big plot of ground, or, or land. You build a great building there. You could have great uh, harvest there. It just means seeing a big old uh, plot of land that's being neglected. And what he's saying is, you have neglected your heart. Your heart is soil. And if I could put it this way, um, imagine we're all farmers, uh, and you have 100 acres of land. In the very beginning, you are harvesting 100 acres of your favorite fruit or vegetable, whatever it is, apples, oranges, you know, um, beets. Who loves beets? I love beets. I eat beets every single Come on, my beet people. Let's go. I love me some good beets. I'd be harvesting beets in my 100 acres. Um, So so you have your 100 acres, and you start harvesting your 100 acres. But then you get kind of busy, you know, seasons change. You're like, I just don't got time. And so you're like, I'll just harvest 50 acres. And then... Over time, you get a new, new hobby. Maybe it's golf or jujitsu or working out or sports or whatever it is. And so you get a new hobby, and so you don't want to. You can't. You don't have time to do fifty acres. You do twenty-five acres, and then twenty-five acres turns into ten acres, and then ten acres turns into one acre. And the Lord is saying, "There is this birthright. There is this harvest." And I've given you everything that for it, but you need to break up fallowed ground. When I was studying this and reading this, I stopped in my tracks and put my hand over my heart and said, God, would you break up fallowed ground again? Places I've surrendered to the enemy, places I've surrendered to the world, things that I, real estate I've given to the wrong things, God, would you break it up again? And would you allow fruit to produce in my heart once again? So if I could just encourage you real quick, today, look at your life and say, am I harvesting what God's called me to harvest? So climbing uh, is looking like breaking up fallow ground. Next thing is climbing is crying out. It's crying out. I, l- I love this part. For it is time to seek the Lord. For it is time to climb trees again. I, um, uh, if I wasn't going to be a pastor, I was going to be a college basketball coach. That was, that was my dream. Um, and so I'm going to use a, a, a coach illustration, and uh, I'll be the coach of the Warriors. How's that sound? Okay, cool. All right, sweet. So I still pastor Mission Church, but now I'm the coach of the Warriors. Um, so uh, you're at Chase Center with me. Warriors are down two, and there's three seconds left. You know what time it is. It's Steph Curry time, not Draymond headlock time. Golly. Okay, anyways, anyways, anyways. It's Steph Curry time. Everybody in the arena knows it's Steph Curry time. And so I call a timeout and say, hey, here's what's going to happen. We're going to set a, um, an elevator screen up top by the, uh, by the foul line. We're going to do a screen for the screener. Steph, you're going to come off the block, come up the free throw line, um, Draymond, you might headlock somebody. You take a seat. We're going to put in Sarich. Sarich, you're a little taller. you maybe draw away because you're a shooter. Sarich, you're going to throw it in. You're going to hit uh, Steph. Steph, you got four seconds. Shoot the three. Put their heads to bed. Let's go home. And Steph, you're like, you got it, T. like, yeah, let's go, Steph. I can't, I can't believe we're like best friends too, Steph. Oh, my gosh. This is my story. I can, I can go there, okay? Um, anyways, so... Um, I'm like, we're we gonna play golf afterwards, Steph. Okay, anyways. Okay, so, um, so, so Steph goes out there, ball gets past Steph. The whole arena knows what time it is. They see the clock. Steph gets the ball, starts dribbling. And somewhere along the way, from when I told him to go shoot the ball, he got distracted and forgot the clock, forgot the time, and he's dribbling like it's the first quarter of the game. And it was like three, two, and I was like shoot it. And He's like. Da-da-da-da-da. And the buzzer, Arr! we lose the game. He's still dribbling, confused why everybody's freaking out, confused why people are leaving the arena. And he's like, I'm going to eventually shoot it. But right now, I just need to focus on me. I got to look at my best self and get my strong inner self. So I just didn't have time to shoot because I'm working on me right now. And so, and so like he, everybody leaves, and eventually he shoots it. But the problem is the clock on the, the scoreboard is already expired. And can I just tell you real quick, we're not in the first quarter. We're not in the second quarter. The time is now to seek the Lord. This is not the beginning of the game, the first quarter where you can just run the ball for a yard. It is Hail Mary time to throw the 50-yard pass and say, I'm throwing the big prayers out, I'm throwing the passionate prayers out, and I'm believing when I do it that my God delivers on big prayers. He says, the time is now to seek the Lord. St. Augustine, he was a um, rebellious man, and he said that, He would leave the house and he would see his mom praying and crying out to God to save him. And he said he was so hardened towards God, he didn't even bother. He'd just leave the house and do things that no kid should do and no man should do. And then one day, his eyes were opened to the beauty of God and he was saved. And he thanked his mom for praying for him. And he went on for the rest of his life and he said, I am a byproduct, I am a child of tears. Can I tell you something real quick? There is a type of prayer that I've been trying to teach our team prayer on Wednesdays. It says in Hebrews 5, 7, that when Jesus prayed, he would cry out with tears to God. Not passive prayers. I heard a pastor say this this way one time. time, Prayer is not hitting the intercom in the house to the butler. Uh, Excuse me, God. Boop. Uh, I'll take a blessing here. Boop. I'll take a promotion. Nice talking to you, God. It is not an intercom to the butler Jesus. No, it is a wartime walkie-talkie saying, send me the calvary of heaven. May your angels go before me. May your kingdom come, your will be done. Would you push back the gates of hell? Would you open the eyes of the Bay Area? May it be said of the Bay Area that this region is a child of tears. Beethoven said, Mistakes are unavoidable, but playing without passion is inexcusable. He's talking about music. I'm talking about your life. I'm talking about this region. I'm talking about the God's kingdom come and his will being done. Mistakes, they're going to be unavoidable, but you praying without passion, it's inexcusable. It is time to cry out to God. It is time to believe. It is time to seek the Lord. Amen. So climbing is walkie-talking. It's crying out. Uh, climbing is sowing. Climbing is sowing. Sow for yourselves righteousness. Uh, I meet too many Christians that have what I call sloppy sovereignty theology. God's sovereign. He holds the whole world in the palm of his hands. The whole universe. Cattle on a thousand hills. Sits on the throne. He's in charge. He's sovereign. I can do whatever I want, and everything's going to play out. All good. No, no. God's role is sovereignty your role is sowing. Somewhere along the way, you thought his role was sovereignty and your role was shopping. And you think that you can go around everywhere and just get things and put them in your basket and be blessed. You don't shop for relationships, you sow relationships. You don't shop for peace, you sow peace. You don't shop for revival, you sow revival. You don't shop for joy, you sow joy. And when you sow revival, he'll ask you to sow into repentance. When you sow into peace, he'll ask you to sow into prayer. You want fulfillment, he'll say, sow into relationships. You want freedom, sow into forgiveness. And a lot of us, we're not sowing. And therefore, we're not reaping. If you want a different harvest, start planting different seed. The Bible says those who harvest little, plant little. But those who harvest much, plant much. I want to be somebody who plants a ton. I want to plant joy daily. I want to plant peace daily. I want to plant provision daily. I want my life just bathed in the seed of the word. And then when the rain comes, watch out. I got too much fruit to talk about. Which brings me to the last part. He says, till he rain righteousness on you. There is going to be moments in your life and moments in the barrier Area where the wave of God and the righteous God is going to come and it's going to water the seed that has been sown. There's this desert called the Atacama Desert in Chile. I'll show you a picture of it. It's the driest place in the whole world. I shared a similar illustration about uh, Death Valley a while ago, uh, about a super bloom. But this place is a little bit different. I, I found something fascinating about this place. Next picture. Uh, I mean, looks dead as a doorknob. Like, like nothing there. It looks like there's no life there at all. Driest place in the world. What you don't know is underneath that soil is hundreds of different types of seeds of different types of flowers. And once in a great while, this place will get 10 years of rain in 10 hours. And it will produce this. Over and over again, your heart, your soul is called soil. And right now, it may look dead as a doorknob. It may not look fruitful or life at all. And you're like, what am I doing? Keep putting seeds. Hey, doesn't look like anything. If you knew how many seeds I've sowed, you have no idea. I'll never forget. I grew up in Washington State. Washington State is the rainy state. They call it the evergreen state. The reason why it's always green is because it's always raining. And so it's the evergreen state. And so uh, when I lived there, I remember the last year I lived there, 89 days straight rain, no sun. And so I knew rain. I thought I knew rain. I knew drizzle, okay? Then my buddy Drew moves to Florida. And when Drew moves to Florida, Rachel and I go on a date night out there. We go to Melting Pot and we get in the car, it is raining so hard. It's not like there's rain drops. The rain is just one big drop. Like, like, I mean, like, cars are pulling over everywhere. Uh, I I couldn't see, the the windshield wipers were not working in a way where I could see. And Joe, would you test this? This happens. Yeah, it's real. I mean, so, so I remember seeing this. I wouldn't have believed this type of rain exists unless I saw it. Some of you, the Bay Area, we've seen a drizzle. But there is a type of rain coming, a rain of righteousness coming, that 10 years worth of rain is gonna drop in 10 hours. And will you have sowed the seeds of righteousness? So when the rain comes, you are ready to receive everything God has for you. Stewarding the revival of your soul is like a surfer who is just paddling the board knowing a wave is eventually coming. And as you paddle, the wave comes, and then it fast-forwards your button to places you never could have gone. Some of you, you aren't even on a board and you're not even paddling. Today, get on the board and start paddling and wait for the wave of righteousness to come. Amen? So that's climbing. Told you. That was week two of the sermon. Let's go to week three now. Um, The crowd. The crowd. So uh, if you want to um, get your must back, you need to understand you must become a child. You must start sowing. You must start climbing. You must, you must, you must. The next one is you must not care what the crowd says. Uh, This one is for the people pleasers in the room. Uh, Luke 19 says, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I'm going to stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter. Man, talkers talk. I saw a meme that made me laugh so hard. Um, uh, uh, Yeah, you speak in tongues, but you gossip in English. You know, like the reality is is, uh, I've been in church long enough now when people like, you know, say something bad now, it doesn't bother me. Because haters are going to hate. Critiquers are going to critique. Religious people are going to say religious things. And, I mean, if you read the whole story of Jesus, it is mutterer after mutterer, mocker after mocker, critiquer after critiquer. And you know what Jesus does? Just keeps it pushing. Yeah, let me read you a verse, Luke 6. Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, for that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. He's saying, woe to you who tells people what their itching ears always want to hear. You act like a false prophet, not like the son of God. You care more about what people think than setting people free. You care more about pleasing people than you care about pleasing God. You care more about saying what the world wants you to say instead of what God wants to put in your mouth and have you say. He says, woe to you if everybody likes you. It doesn't say blessed if everybody, well, it actually does bless if everybody hates you, kind of. Um, but don't be a jerk and think that you're being holy. You know what I'm saying? That's why I didn't say anything the service, but I feel like somebody in the house is like, yeah, everybody hates me. I must be doing good. No, no, no. If you're preaching truth and loving people, and then they don't like you, maybe you're doing wrong. Okay, okay. Um, So Luke 6, uh, Luke 14. So I want to go back to another text where, again, the crowd, the the religious crowd is is critiquing Jesus. And I want you to see um, how it's handled and how we can handle it. Um, So one uh, one Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of of the prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. The Greek word carefully watches with malicious intent. And I know every Sunday we got somebody carefully watching us. From the first song, what are they, what are they singing here? Hmm? Is that song hermeneutically correct? I don't know if I agree with that whole song. I don't know. And then, you know, somebody's worshiping. That person's a little too emotional for me. You know, oh, the pastor, he's too funny. Oh, his beard's too beautiful. Oh. I don't know, I just want to say it. Um, so you get this critiquing... Spirit. Sorry, I, I didn't do that in any other service. I have no idea why I said it. Um, <laughs> sorry. Um, when you have that kind of eye, a critical eye, these people miss Jesus sitting in the room. People with the religious people, you miss Jesus all the time. You think you're bringing the spirit of God, you're bringing the spirit of religion. And Jesus is in the room, and he's moving, and you are just looking. Instead of looking for uh, your eyes to encounter God, you're looking as a policeman to police the room, and you miss Jesus. It goes on to say there in front of, in front of him was a man suffering from abnormal swelling in his body. Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts in law. He's trying to cure the sickness in the room, the sickness of critiquing. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. So taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him on his way watch out for that religious crowd I'm about to free you right now I've come to this conclusion the power of Jesus isn't an idea that needs to be defended it is a reality that must be released I'm not here uh, to debate healing I've seen it and I've experienced it I'm not here to debate revival I'm living in it I refuse to live out my life trying to appease religious critics I'm giving the rest of my life to hosting the presence of God my energy is going to be God I want your presence and I want to love your people How many people are suffering in the streets while the religious are arguing in the house? Always itching where nobody's scratching, always critiquing things that aren't leading people. If you wanna get fired up, get fired up about people going to hell. I very rarely see religious people saying, How can we reach the lost? How can we open up the door bigger so they can come into this place? They're always trying to enforce a new rule and a new idea they have, a new thing they read that they think is really important to them. That Their personal conviction must be corporate conviction. And so over and over again, they're pushing their religious crowd spirit. I came to this conclusion. You spend your time arguing. I'm going to spend my time harvesting. You spend your time critiquing. I'm going to spend my time worshiping. They've made the wrong bullseye. Their must is Holiness. This religious crowd, their bullseye is holiness, 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 holiness. Holiness isn't the target. Jesus is. Jesus is the target. And when he's the target, you become holy. But when holiness is your target, you become a religious Pharisee. And there is this movement that thinks holiness is the target. Jesus is the target. He is the aim. I want the presence of God. I want... I've been... I've been praying this prayer for a little while. You know, somebody at team prayer asked me recently, "What happened to you? You're on fire, Pastor. You know, you're hanging out with somebody. What happened?" And I say, like, "Oh, you know, just you know, I didn't tell them what I've been doing, but in my prayer time, I literally do this in my prayer time. I want the heat. Got to want it. I want all the heat. And you know, I want the fire of God. I want unction. I want your presence." I want all of it. I don't want some of it. I don't want a I want all the heat. Give me, you, you give me grace, I'll do it. You give me power, I'll do it. God, I will preach in a way you, that you'd want me to preach. I'll say whatever you want me to say. I want the heat. That's how I pray in the bedroom before I come here. And here's what I, I, I want to read you. The Holy Spirit. You're not going to get the heat from anything else except the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not a mythical force. It is not good vibes. It is not goosebumps or vibrations. The Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is God. Here's the problem, too many Christians have made him weird. The Holy Spirit is not weird. People are weird. <laughs> when somebody's being weird, like, oh, the Holy Spirit's weird, no, that's a weirdo. Holy Spirit's awesome. He is the helper, comforter, teacher, and anointer. He is the spirit of wisdom, He is the baptizer. He intercedes for us, encourages us, convicts us, seals us, and establishes us. He can be grieved, he can be quenched, and he can be ignored. Or he can be welcomed. At Mission Church, we welcome the beautiful Holy Spirit. We want the heat. I'll catch this real quick. I'll partner with you. I'll partner with the Baptist, the Lutheran, the Republican, the Democrat, the old, the young, the rich, the poor, even the Niner fan. I'm a Hawk fan. I'll partner with you, Niner fan. We, we can build the kingdom together. The religious create an exclusive crowd. The Holy Spirit is the most inclusive spirit ever to hit the planet. It will go for every outsider. Yeah. Young and old, the Holy Spirit does not discriminate against race or, or, or bank account or, or past. The Holy Spirit says, I'm coming for you. Yeah. I want the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Kingdom of God does not belong to the religious. They think, it, they, think that, they think it's theirs. They think they're in charge. They start websites and blogs and YouTubes <laughs> to tell you everything that everybody else is doing wrong and how you should do it. The kingdom of God does not belong to the religious. The kingdom of God belongs to the hungry, the humble, the children of God that want to see his kingdom come and his will be done. I'm telling you real quick. The kingdom of God does not belong to church name brands or big church buildings. I'm telling you, the reason why we're seeing revival happen in Mission Church is simply this. You're hungry. God has awakened your soul. The Holy Spirit has melted you. The Holy Spirit has opened your eyes. We do not have a great, we're leasing this for like another year. You know we don't have a great building. This is not happening because we have a great building. It's not happening because we have a a, a great pastor, a great worship person. Is Lisa talented? Sure. Do I have a great beard? Sure, whatever, okay? (laughs) It is what it is. But I'm telling you, the reason why this is happening is because there are hungry people that say, I want the kingdom of God. Watch out for the religious crowd. Watch out. You'll start praying in tongues, and you'll look foolish, and they'll say things to you. What are you doing? Knock that off. Hey, keep talking. I'm going to strengthen my spirit. Keep praying for people to be healed. They say, what are you doing? You might get their hopes up. Oh, you're going to hurt somebody's feelings if you do that. Oh, I haven't seen a healing. Keep talking. I'm going to keep praying for miracles. Keep worshiping with a fervor, with your hands raised saying, I want your kingdom to come, your will to be done. Wow, you look a little emotional. I am, I'm loving with everything that I have, my mind, my spirit, and all of my body. I can be emotional in my worship. It's not the driver, but it's a part of my worship. Hey, keep talking, I'm gonna engage with my God. Keep pursuing God. The religious, to the rest of their days, will talk. But woe to them, woe to them. Why they talk, we'll enjoy God. Why they talk, he will fill our mouth with laughter. Why they talk, he will restore our bodies. Keep talking, we'll keep living. Second crowd to watch out for is the compassion crowd, the compassion crowd. Now, uh, I wrote this down. The world can't save itself. It needs a Savior. The world is in a righteousness deficit, a salvation deficit, and because of it, they're trying to fill their bank account, their bankrupt souls, with compassion, with false compassion, with saying, my goal in this world is if I show compassion to somebody, I feel good, they feel good, I fixed my bankrupt, and I fixed their bankruptness. The problem is is that I feel like if the rich young ruler ran up to Jesus today, he would say something like this. I've attended all the right rallies. I've posted all the right hashtags. I've donated all the right causes. I've been offended on behalf of all the right people. I'm great, right, God? I'm impressive, aren't I? The problem with the compassion crowd is they've made the bullseye, they've made their must compassion. And so when you make compassion your must, compassion your bullseye, you sacrifice things that set people free. You'll become the false prophet. Let me, let me read you some things uh, that happen when you make compassion the bullseye. The Bible becomes unkind when you uh, speak of compassion. Uh, when compassion becomes your idol, truth becomes unkind. When compassion becomes your idol, doctrine is unkind. The church is unkind. Pastors are unkind. Discipline is unkind. Laws are unkind. Cops become unkind. Prison is unkind. Repercussions are unkind. All the things that are put in place, uh, everything that would hurt somebody in your eyes, because compassion is a moving target in our society. It's just, thank God our God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But in our society, now, well, now this is compassion. No, now this is Compassion. And the reality is you are not smart enough, strong enough. You are not savvy enough to save your soul. Compassion will not save you. It will give you a God complex. It will give you the complex of saying, hey, you can't say that. That hurt their feelings. Oh, are you the God of compassion now? Are you the ruler of what I'm allowed to say and not what I'm allowed to say? No, I have a God, and I'm going to say what he wants me to say. And when I say what he wants to say, it sets people free. Yeah. Is Jesus compassionate? Of course he is. He's the most compassionate person ever to walk the earth. But he had compassion and truth. And when he met people, he was hanging with them, loving them, but then he was setting them free and speaking truth to them. Compassion crowd, watch out for them. They will try to shut you up so quick when you start speaking truth. They'll try to shut you up real quick when you start living different from the world. We are called to be different. We are called to love different, live different, have a different standard and truth. Do not let the world shut you up. Keep loving, keep being compassionate, but keep living with truth. Amen? Amen. I'll invite the worship team come up. We're going to talk about the last one, the change, week four, the fourth week of my sermon. (laughs) Um, The change, the change. Uh, But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. Now that I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. The first change we see, and I was going to talk about grace a little bit in here, but uh, Ian did such a great job preaching on grace. Watch that uh, next week. But basically, grace is a force. Grace takes sinners and makes them saints. Grace takes the greedy and makes them generous. Grace takes the um, um, adulterer and makes them pure again. Grace literally transforms your life. And so so grace changes uh, Zacchaeus. And the first change that happens because of this grace, the power of grace, is the change of who I am. No longer is Zacchaeus becoming his best self. He says, look, Lord. Now, the Greek text of look, Lord, you have to understand something. It's not like a like, oh, excuse me, boss, I finished my task. No, it's uh, the Greek text is actually like a son screaming to a father, look at me, dad. It'd be like if you're in the backyard and you had a pool and your son watched you cannonball in the pool many times. But your kid, when they're younger, they were a little afraid, but eventually they grew up the, the courage and, and learned how to do it. So they, they call you out in the backyard. Hey, dad, look, I'm just like you. I can cannonball just like you, watch. And they run and they cannonball and they're waiting for you to approve and saying, You did it just like me, son. And what Zacchaeus is saying is, I got a new must. I must be just like you. Look, Lord, you were generous. Now I'm generous. The law says 10%. I'm not about the law, I'm about you. I'm gonna give away 50%. The law says to repay 20%. I'm gonna repay 400%. Look, Lord, I'm just like you, I am generous. I'm transformed. I have a new must. I must be like my father. When you encounter the grace of God, it will not only change your attitude, it will change your actions. It will change your must. I must do this. I must do that. No, I must become like my Savior. The first change you'll see is he must become like his Savior. Second change you see is the change of what I do. The change of what I do. Um... Narnia, there's the first book, Father Christmas shows up to the four kids, Peter, Edmund, Susie, and Lucy. Aslan sends Father Christmas to give them gifts. And Peter gets a sword. And they're confused, like, why are you giving me a sword? Is this like butter bread? Is this to impress the ladies? Like, why would you give me a sword? And the Lucy is given an ointment to heal people. And she's like, what is this? Like, I'm supposed to wear this as perfume? Like, what is this ointment for? But then eventually... They find themselves in battle, and it all makes sense. Peter realizes the sword was given to him to defeat the enemy and to protect people. The gifts that he was given were not to impress people, not to make himself look good, not to serve himself. The gifts he was given was to advance the kingdom and to defeat the enemy. Lucy sees people getting hurt and and cut. She realizes that the ointment is to heal people. The gift that she was given was to help the broken, And Zacchaeus, he was a tax collector for sure, but he was a great tax collector, gifted in math, gifted in business and savvy. He didn't become a rich tax collector because he was lazy or bad at it. He was great at making money. The Bible says you have the gift of money, give money. And so Zacchaeus for the first time says, I was given this gift of possessions. I was given this gift of finances not to make myself look impressive, not to build myself up, but to advance the kingdom of God. And so in this battle, I will restore the ones that have been stolen from. I will restore the broken. I'm going to give 50% away to help out the broken. When you have your change in your life, you'll realize everything that you have is not for you. It's to glorify God. And when you use it to glorify God, it will satisfy your soul. Every, every gift, a musical gift, a financial gift, a leadership gift, a charismatic gift, whatever it is, it is for the kingdom to defeat the gates of hell and to glorify God. I pray that you would look at your gifts this week and say, how do I use them to glorify your God? Then we add the change of uh, the power of grace, which I touched on a little bit. I do love this. I just have to say it real quick. When Jesus says, salvation has come to this home. It's like he's like declaring Grace has won again. Grace has defeated death. Grace has defeated shame. Grace has defeated a past. Grace has changed another soul. Grace has defeated death. And today, grace is going to win again. I love this part of the chapter. Just Jesus is like, whoo, he's changed. Grace got another one. And then last but not least, the change of who's in charge. A lot of you have a Savior, but not a lot of you have a Lord. He's your savior, but he's not your Lord yet. And the way that Zacchaeus postures his life towards God, you need to know something about Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus became a ministry partner of Peter, a bishop, but he became a person who built the church and in the history of the the church history, he did great things for God. He did not do that because Jesus was a savior. He did that because Jesus became his Lord. And he says, look, Lord. So he talks to him, look, Lord. He got a new master that day. He was blinded by the possessions of this world. When you're blinded by wealth, it is not your servant, it is your master. It is not your passenger, it has become your driver. Instead of loving people and using money to glorify God, you end up loving money and using people to glorify yourself. And this day, he got a new master. He said, I get it. I'm no longer in charge, possessions aren't in charge, you're in charge. Watch how in charge you are. The thing that used to drive my life, the thing that used to have the steering wheel of my life, I put it in the trunk, and now I give it out everywhere I go. Oh, guess what I got in the back? You want some twenties? I got some twenties. You want some cash? I got some cash. Oh, yeah, I should be no longer is it the driver. It's the thing that I'm in charge of now, and I use to glorify my God. I, I love this. Um, you can't leave without this thought, real quick. A lot of you, you're like, "Whoo, yeah! I want the fire. I want the heat." I want God, I want, okay, I I know you do, but you have to understand this foundational principle real quick. Do you want him to be your Lord, or do you want him to be your butler? Because A.W. Tozer wrote it this way, our mistake is that we want God to send revival on our terms. We want to get the power of God in our hands to call it to us that it may work for us in promoting and furthering our kind of Christianity. We wanna still be in charge, guiding the chariot through the religious sky in the direction we wanna go, shouting glory to God, but modestly accepting a share of the glory for ourselves in a nice inoffensive sort of way. We're calling on God to send fire on our altars, calling on God to send fire on all our altars, on our altars, completely ignoring the fact that there are altars, not God's. If the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the church today, 95% 95% of what we do would go on and no one would notice the difference. If the Holy Spirit had been withdrawn from the New Testament church, 95% of what they did would stop and everybody would know the difference. I'm here to tell you today throw out your worldly altars, throw out your ideological altars, throw all those altars out and let the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the one who's all knowing, all powerful, and all loving, start living the life that you're supposed to live with them. I know the crowd, what the crowds say about the Bay Area. I know what people say about greedy people, but I'm believing by the power of grace, God can save a greedy person like you and me once again. Will you bow your heads? Not sure it's your first time or second time in church, but you want Jesus. Your eyes have been opened. Your ears have been opened. Your heart has been stirred by the Holy Spirit. And now it's time to respond. The Bible's very clear. If you want to say yes to Jesus, there must be a response. Saying yes to heaven, no to hell. Yes to blessing, no to cursing. Saying yes to salvation saying yes to grace. If you want to say yes to Jesus today with every head and eye closed, on the count of three, raise your hand and catch my eye. One, two, three, raise it up. I see you, and I see you, and I see you, and I see you. Man. So many salvations. I see you in the very back. I see you over there. Come on, we can clap for that church. Come on. Would you stand up? I want to pray for you. I believe God is shifting your life right now. I believe he's shifting our church right now. I believe that there is a shift, that people who have been one foot in, one foot out are gonna go all in with the Lord. People who have been asleep are waking up. People who have been awake are getting fired up. People who are fired up are becoming flamethrowers for Jesus. Come on. It's another thing I pray by myself. God, make me a flamethrower. May I just throw it out, throw it out. God, would you awaken us? God, people that were lukewarm are now on fire. People that were one foot in are now two feet in. People that were on fire are now starting fires. God, would you give us your spirit? Would you lead us, would you guide us? We repent right now, we repent of our own altars and we say yes to the right altar. We say yes to the right target. Our must is to live for you and you alone. Our must is to worship you and you alone. Our must is to become like you and you alone. God, we love you. Use us to change the world. And everybody said? Thanks again for listening to the Mission Church Podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe so you can keep up on our weekly sermons. If you're in the Bay Area, we invite you to come join us on Sundays. You can find all the details on our website at missionchurchca.com. Again, thanks so much for listening, and we hope to see you soon.